Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You are listening to the Mother of All Talk Shows podcast with George Galloway. Poor Sergey and Alexander, what will we do without them? Uh, we've got liberals, uh, remainers, maniacs calling for Russians to be deported. All of their property confiscated, irrespective of their relationship or not to the government in Russia. The same people that accused Nigel Farage of wanting to deport Poles now want to deport Russians. The Oprah Winfrey story may even be apocryphal, but we're in circumstances, in an atmosphere in which it's all too believable, isn't it? When people who will happily allow the head-chopping saw men of the Saudi Arabian dictatorship to own two top football clubs, Sheffield United and Newcastle United, were not even going to play Russia. We'll allow Israel, which has been an illegal occupation of uh, Palestine and other lands for decade after decade, more than half a century, in fact, will allow them into UEFA, but UEFA has banned Russia. Manchester United, my own team, has sacked Aeroflot and is instead dependent on the tender mercies now of various other corporate clients and indeed the billionaire Americans, the Glazers. You couldn't make this up. Although an awful lot of stuff is being made up they say that the first casualty of war is truth, and my goodness, haven't we been treated to that over the last couple of days? I'm sick of seeing uh, President Zelensky of the Ukraine at the front line in the trench wearing his flak jacket and his tin hat, except all of those pictures are from years gone by and have nothing whatsoever to do with the current conflict in Ukraine. We've had all sorts. We've had a ghost pilot who was spoofed on Twitter. His identity revealed, but he was some obscure actor wearing specs. We've had the ghost ship uh, that told the Russian warship to F off before going into Davy Jones's locker, though that never happened. We've had Snake Island where all the defenders announced and broadcast, and Zelensky began organizing their funerals that they would die there on Snake Island, although all 18 of them surrendered and were treated with due respect and are all alive and well, watching the president of Ukraine organizing their funerals on television. We've even had a guy, Bernie Gores, 
a CNN journalist who's died again. He first was killed in Afghanistan in 2016. I'm not making this up. That's Bernie Gores of CNN. He was first killed in 2016 in Afghanistan, and now he's been killed again in the Ukraine in 2022. R.I.P. Bernie, again. Uh, I mean, really, you couldn't make it all up, although they are. This is a war in 2022, in the era of digital, where everyone has got a camera phone. It's a war where there's no footage of actually any war. Of course, the Russian forces have invaded Ukraine, that much is sure, but where's all the fighting? Where's all the footage? Do you ever get suspicious when fake footage is the only footage you're seeing? Like the Russian tank that turned out to be a Ukrainian armored personnel carrier running over a Ukrainian driver's car or the Russian missile that turned out to be a Ukrainian buck that hit the corner of a Ukrainian house where fires are shown that actually are not even in Ukraine, where a woman is on the front page of every newspaper in the world, a bloodied woman in white bandages holding her face, poor soul. I said it at the time when that picture was first published after a gas explosion in Bulgaria in 2018. All these canards, all this disinformation is of course par for the, par for the, uh, for the course. None of the people who pervade it are going to be banned from the airwaves or algorithmed or suppressed. None of these people will be called an enemy agent. None of the liars that lied, the sewers that carried their lies, or the poor idiots who believed it all, none of them will face any consequences for it. But others may very well do so. Who would have thought that one of the benefits of Brexit would be uh, that the Russian broadcaster RT would now survive in Europe only in the United Kingdom. The last outpost of freedom of speech. Britain, the only place where you can now watch RT. All in the interests, of course, of freedom and liberty. The EU ban on RT is in breach of its own charter which guarantees as a fundamental right the freedom of speech and expression. The British Foreign Secretary, I can hardly believe I'm saying this, is somebody called Liz Truss, who announced today on television that the government would support British citizens who want to go to Ukraine and fight even though that's illegal in Britain, even though people who went to fight to defend the Kurds against ISIS are currently in prison in Britain, having been convicted 
of traveling to fight in a foreign war. And what about all these other types that would love to go and fight for ISIS and come back again? What about the people who want to go to Gaza and fight for the Hamas and come back again? Is the government going to support them? What about the flags of Palestine that were banned at Celtic Park, a club which was then fined 80,000 pounds because its supporters held up Palestinian flags? Well, Ukrainian flags are being given out by the football authorities. The United Arab Emirates has been bombing the most devastated people on the earth in Yemen for the last almost 10 years. 80,000 children have been killed. Half a million people have been killed. The UAE is banning them. The UAE owes, owns Manchester City Football Club, which yesterday had a full-scale jamboree against bombing in Ukraine. Whilst their owners, members of the royal family of the UAE, are massacring people in Yemen. And most of the poor fools in the, in the enclosure, in the stand, on the terracings, don't even know. And most of those that know apparently don't care. Now, I never expected the Russians to invade Ukraine. I'm bitterly sorry that this has happened. I know about war much more than most of the armchair generals currently opining on it. I've been in many, many war zones. I've even been under aerial bombardment. I know what it's like to press your face into the earth and wish your nose would be able to dig you deeper as the shrapnel, red-hot, razor-sharp, cascaded around. I know all about these things. But as I once said famously in, a, in my biggest ever video during the Israeli invasion of Lebanon in 2006, History doesn't begin when Sky News arrives. The clock doesn't start ticking from the moment that CNN roll up. I could go back a long way for the cause of where we are today, but I only have time to go back to 2014. That's the proximate date when this conflict started in Ukraine and between, between Ukraine and Russia. When the elected government of Ukraine was overthrown in a violent, fascistic coup organized to the nth degree by the United States Embassy and its then ambassador, Victoria Newland. The government was overthrown the elected president was chased from the country. The parliament was set on fire. The MPs at gunpoint had to pass legislation banning the use 
of the Russian language, a language spoken by almost a third of the population of Ukraine. That coup was spearheaded, its vanguard was the right sector and the Azov Battalion. Jack booting swastika wearing, SS insignia bearing, fully fledged Nazis, worshippers of the Jew killer Bandera, who sent scores of thousands of Ukrainian and Polish Jews to their deaths in the death camps. Those that he and his followers hadn't set upon and murdered on the streets of Ukraine, even before the SS arrived. If you think that Russia can be unmoved, sanguine about such things, you know nothing about history, never mind about Russian history. So what happened next? The people of Eastern Ukraine said, up with this, we will not put. We elected that president. We elected that government. You've just overthrown it. You've just banned our language and our culture, and we will not accept it. So we are going to set up self-declared republics in the Donbass. The Ukrainians then moved their military, including their fascist vanguard, and shelled them for eight long years, eight, killing 14,000 Ukrainian citizens. They were bombing their own people. Remember that refrain? They were bombing their own people for eight years. They killed 14,000, many of them, women and children. And today's journalists and broadcasters didn't give a toss about it. They didn't even report it. Never mind feel the pain of the bereaved. Feel the pain of the murdered and the maimed. They didn't give a damn about it. Neither did the policy makers in the West. In fact, they continued to pump full that Ukraine coup regime with NATO and EU money, weapons, and propaganda support. The Russians never recognized uh, those self-declared republics. But when it became clear, as I predicted to you last week, that it might, that a general offensive to massacre the people there, 14,000 dead over eight years, do the maths, but a massacre, a full-scale assault, well, as I said to you last week, Russia could not possibly stand idly by while that happened. And so we have now what we have. The Russian war aims are today what they were before the war began. They have not changed. They have not ramped up. They haven't called for the overthrow of the puppet President Zelensky, the new pin-up boy of NATO and Western governments. They don't want to regime change the government of Ukraine. They don't want to annex the Ukraine 
to Russia. They don't want any of the things that are normally involved when one country invades another, like NATO invaded Yugoslavia, for example. The war aims are simple. They are twofold. Uh, that the Ukraine must be demilitarized and denazified, and two, uh, that it must be a neutral state, i.e. that it will never join NATO. So we are now at the brink of World War III because a country of which Americans in particular know nothing and British people overwhelmingly know nothing, we may very well be on the brink of a European war, which could become a world war, a European war which could become a nuclear war very, very easily. Because in the last few days, Germany and others, what could possibly go wrong? Germany tooling up to fight Russia. What could possibly go wrong? Why would the Russians possibly be concerned about that? All so that we don't allow the Ukrainian government to say that it will remain neutral, that it won't join NATO? You seriously want a European or a world war over that? Are you ready for your son to die over that? in defiance of that demand, really? Are you? But of course you won't be. You want to fight to the last drop of Ukrainian blood, you cowards. If you wanted to fight Russia, why don't you fight Russia yourselves? Why are you forcing Ukraine? It's like a, a big bully pushing a little boy into a fight with a bigger boy. If you want to fight Russia, why don't you fight it, you cowards? You want to fight Russia to the last drop of Ukrainian blood. If you don't want Russia to fight Ukraine, stop using Ukraine to fight Russia. It's really that simple. Everything I've said in the last 20 minutes could be encapsulated in that one sentence. If you don't want Russia to fight Ukraine, Stop making Ukraine fight Russia on your behalf. That's the long and the short of it. Now, in the course of the next three hours, we'll hear your views, we'll hear the views of others, perhaps about the hypocrisy of glorifying Molotov cocktails, glorifying the right of an occupied people to fight its occupier by force of arms. You know, as long as it's only in the Ukraine and not in Palestine, as long as it's only in the Ukraine and not in Yemen, then you'll be a terrorist. And anyone that glorifies you in Britain, at least, will go to prison for the glorification of terrorism. There's so much more I could say. I'll close with this. I very much hope that these negotiations bear fruit. Uh, but if they do not, 
then I feel sure, though I don't speak for Russia, and I don't know their mind on this, but I feel sure that having been backed into a corner by NATO expansion, Russia has decided, as it did at Stalingrad, that this far and no further, we will retreat no further. And from now on, we will give as good as it gets. Starting, I hope, with the expulsion of every single European Union broadcaster from Russia immediately on the next plane. Bye-bye. Arthur 049 says, our nuclear weapons are always on alert because they have to be. Quite so. I agree with that. I agree our nuclear weapons should always be on alert. Why then did the world appear to come to an end when the Russians put their nuclear weapons on alert earlier today? That was the point, Arthur, I was making. Yes, Schumer. Uh, so <laughs> there's the poll. My goodness, what a lot of votes. Are we on the brink of World War Three? You can have your say. Now, a couple of weeks ago, it was China that was getting it in the neck. And if you ask me, it'll be China that's getting it in the next, in the neck, in the next few weeks. Don't think they've given up on trying to weaken, destabilize, if possible, divide China. Don't think that for one minute. And don't think that because Ukraine has the right to reoccupy breakaway parts of its territory, that China has the right to try and recover breakaway parts of its territory. And don't tell me Taiwan is an independent country. Don't tell me that, because that's not the policy of either the United States or the United Kingdom or of hardly any government in the whole world. So don't tell me that. Almost every government in the world has a one China policy. One China, not two. And that Taiwan is a part of China. In fact, half the people in Taiwan consider themselves to be part of China. They just would prefer to govern China rather than the people that govern it now. So just because Ukraine can recover its territory doesn't mean that China can recover its. The fact that not a lot of people know that, the fact that not a lot of people know that when Britain ruled Hong Kong, there was absolutely zero democracy or human rights. Did you know that? I guess you didn't know that, most of you. That Britain occupied Hong Kong for 150 years and never had a single election of any kind. That when Britain was the ruler in Hong Kong, the Chinese people there were coolies, given orders, and in years gone by, given the lash or public execution. So why is it we so misunderstand China? Why is it that we simply cannot accept that China is back on the world stage and that China will very shortly be the most productive uh, country in the whole world. It will have 
the biggest economy in the whole world, the biggest army in the whole world, that nothing will happen in the world without China agreeing to it. Why can't people grasp that? I decided to ask a man that knows, a wonderful, wonderful writer and academic, Professor Paolo Urio from the University of Geneva. He's from the Department of Political Science and International Relations, and he's the author of a fantastic new book, America and the China Threat. Professor, welcome uh, to the mother of all talk shows. Now, um, the, the very title of your book uh, speaks volumes itself, doesn't it? The China Threat. Why is China a threat? The China threat, well, it's the point of view of the United States. It uh, started several years ago, but it acquired momentum towards the end of the last century and the beginning of this century. Why so? Um, Why so, though? Sorry? Why so? Oh. Well, simply because China, since uh, at least the end of the 1970s, started to develop its economy by introducing into its planned economy something different, that is some market mechanisms. In the West, we say market economy, some even say capitalism, state capitalism. For me, it's a contradiction in terms. This cannot be state capitalism. State capitalism, as we know it in the West, it's when the economy is possessed, or at least the more important part of the economy is possessed by private people or by private organization. And the state is pushed aside. In China, this this not happen. They kept the planning, but they transformed it into a more subtle planning. They give directive, they give incentives to the enterprises, and then they leave the enterprises, the private one, to do their job, to improve their uh, management, to improve their skills, to improve their projection to the rest of the economy, to the rest of the world, and this started after China was admitted to the WTO at the end in December 2001. And from that, the development has been very, very quick, very impressive, not only in the traditional domains where China was producing toys, uh, books, uh, shoes, and so on, but it started to produce something more, more technical, more technical. That is today, China has done important uh, improvements in technology, uh, for example, intelligence, arti uh, artificial intelligence, and other domains where about 10 years ago, nobody would have thought that China would have been able to do something new 
by herself. Because until then, we said, okay, China, they can imitate what we, we are doing, but they are not able to go above that level. They did it. They did it. And it started little, little, little by little. Um, explaining that, I think we have to consider the teaching of the French historian of the economy, Fernand Brodel, who said that you must look at a long time things are going underneath in the long time. And if you add to this the point of view of the Chinese uh, historian and philosopher, Wang Hui, he says in the long time, there are these silent transformations. They are silent. You don't hear them. You don't even see them. Silent and invisible. And then suddenly, one day, they pop up into the news and everybody is surprised. How come? Oh, the Chinese are able to do that? The Chinese are building a speed, high-speed train? The Chinese, and so on and so on. They're improving their, their military also, thanks in part to the Russian, we, we know that. But we have now a situation where China really, it's big, not only in terms of population, which it has always been big country, even in the 19th century, when small, in quotes, England defeated big China. China didn't have the quality to put on top of the number of people they had on the vast territory they had. Now they've done both. They are numerous. There are more than 1,430 million people. And they have put on top of that the quality of their economy, the quality of their science, of their technology, and so on. And starting maybe with Xi Jinping, it, at the beginning of his first term in uh, uh, 2013, they starting to go abroad. Go abroad, where? But where the United States were there. And then, big surprise, big surprise, and big threat, and big threat. Do you, think, do you think that that uh, in a way is the is the is the crucial factor uh, that it was bad enough China moving from making uh, plastic toys? By the way, Professor, I'm so old. I remember when the same allegation used to be made about Japan. Japan yeah. just copied our things. They exactly. couldn't make anything themselves. Exactly. Uh, now it's uh, we've moved from uh, Japan to China. Then China was routinely. Uh, uh, if you like, disrespected in that way. But now China quite self-evidently with its mobile telephones and its electric trains and its rockets to the dark side of the moon and so on is very obviously leaping ahead. Um, but perhaps the Rubicon was crossed when they moved abroad, when yeah. they started to plant their uh, Belt and Road Initiative, for example, yeah. Uh, yeah. right across the globe. Yeah, 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 exactly. Well, there's some reason why they went abroad. Uh, for, well, since the 19th century, China has been confronted by the foreign policy of European power first, Great Britain, France, and then United States. All these three countries had a global foreign policy. 
global foreign policy. Uh, we used to say that uh, on these empires, the sun never sets, never sets. So they are all over the world. So in order to be able to face the new empire, the American empire, it was inevitable that China would go abroad. This is certain. It started little by little. We didn't see it again, the silent transformation, but it was prepared for a long time. Uh, Xi Jinping made the first uh, speech about the Belt and Road Initiative at the beginning of its first term, 2013. But he couldn't have imagined that by himself just in a couple of months. So it was there, little by little, in the long time, by slowly, silently improving the capacity of the economy and of the science and technology of China. So it went, China went abroad out of necessity. It was not uh, a project uh, inside its genius. It was not. not. And um, if I can compare the ideology of the United States and the ideology of, France, of, of, of China and the projection of that ideology into foreign policy, we can see the big difference. It's evident. Uh, may I go back to one of the first very famous president of the United States, Jefferson. Jefferson wrote in 801, that is only 25 years after the Declaration of Independence and 22 years before the proclamation of the Monroe Doctrine, so right at the beginning, a letter in which you can find a sentence which, in my opinion, is the blueprint of foreign policy of the United States for the years to come. In that very short sentence, it says a lot of things. It is written with no pathos, no emotion. It's a matter of fact. A matter of fact. It's like, how could I say, a registered letter sent by Postman Jefferson to the American establishment telling you are going to do that in the future. In that letter, in that sentence, um, Jefferson puts together the development of the United States, the consequent development of the national interest, and the expansion abroad of the United States. He says, we are going to expand. This is the key word. We are going to expand. But where? And he says, we, we cover the whole of the northern continent, and why not also the southern continent? In the north, it became big mistakes because there was Canada. In spite of two invasions, Canada kept its independence. And in that world, people, he says, will speak the same language, will be governed under similar forms and by similar laws. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. Is the foreign policy of the United States at the beginning of the uh, 19th century. Well, expansion, uh, expansion, excuse me, expansion at the beginning of the And now we are discussing what we are discussing now the expansion of NATO, that is the US, up to the border of Russia, 
even under the windows of the Kremlin. So, I mean, it's, it's something this force implemented year after year, decade after, de after decade. Taking China now, the blueprint of China foreign policy is very different. It's uh, uh, a sentence, or more than a sentence, a program defined by Chu Lai in 1963. That is a few years after the first big mistake made by Mao, that is the great leap forward, which started in 58 and lasted a few years. And three years before the second big mistake made by Mao, the great cultural revolution, which started in 66. So now in 63. In 63, Chuan Lai certainly, with the approval of Mao, defined the China strategy for becoming again a great power capable of confronting other great powers. And it is the theory of the four modernization. China, in order to avoid the humiliations of the 19th century, must become strong again, must improve its agriculture, must improve its economy, must improve science and technology, and must improve defense. You see, there is nothing, there is no projection abroad. We have to define ourselves. Then, of course, beginning of this century, China is confronting with the United States, and the United States has a global foreign policy. They're everywhere. They're even on the border of China with several hundred military bases. So China has to go abroad. It was out of, as I said before, out of necessity. Fascinating. The book is wonderful, Professor. It's called America and the China Threat. I commend it to absolutely everyone. Thank you for joining us on the Thank mother you, of Thank all you. talk shows. Much obliged to you. Are we on the brink of World War III? Well, on my Twitter feed, A, yes, 32%, B, no, 68%. On my YouTube, yes, 42%, no, 58%. And on my Telegram, yes, 49%, no, 51%. A record number of votes in already, and there's still plenty of time left for you to vote. Now, uh, uh, an old friend of mine, Brian Wilson, the Right Honourable Brian Wilson, former cabinet minister in the Labour government of Tony Blair, has written a powerful piece in the Scotsman newspaper uh, this very day, uh, in which he laments the absolutely appalling lack of diplomacy uh, and diplomatic sense in the run-up to the current crisis uh, between Russia and the Ukraine. My next guest knows a thing or two about diplomacy. He's Professor Alfred Desaias, former United Nations independent expert on the promotion of a democratic and equitable international order. Former Secretary of the United Nations Human Rights Committee, and chief of the petitions section in the office of the UN High Commissioner for Refugees. Professor Alfred, thank you very much for joining us on this auspicious uh, evening, uh, which may very well be our very biggest audience ever. Uh, and the reason for that very big audience is that people want to hear the other side of the story, and they're not getting it in the mainstream 
media, but you're here because you're an expert in diplomacy. You, uh, you could have solved this if they'd given it to you. How, how would you have solved it? On the basis of the United Nations Charter, which is the world constitution. But uh, if you want to solve a problem, you need good faith. And uh, good faith is in very short supply, especially on the side of NATO countries. I mean, there's no reason to be uh, provoking, provoking, provoking. Don't forget that Article 2, Paragraph 4 of the uh, UN Charter prohibits not only the use of force as uh, NATO used against Yugoslavia and Afghanistan and Iraq and Libya and Syria, etc. It prohibits the threat of the use of force. And what is more threatening than having uh, tons and tons of weapons uh, flown into Ukraine next to the you know, borders of uh, Russia? Certainly the United States would not be happy to have uh, Mexico join a uh, so-called defense alliance or a military alliance uh, with uh, Russia or with China. Well, obviously, Russia doesn't want Ukraine at its doorstep or Georgia, for that matter, becoming a member of NATO. It is understandable. And uh, the two treaties that uh, uh, Lavrov presented in the month of December, I read them. They are quite reasonable. And I think the solution could have been uh, reached already in the first days of January. And I think it would have been entirely reasonable. There's plenty of historical examples of countries uh, that either uh, by treaty or by uh, uh, unilateral declaration have become neutral. So a declaration of neutrality on the part of uh, uh, Shalinsky would have left the door open to friendly relations with the West and with the East. But of course, NATO is not interested in that because the military industrial complex runs with tension. That's the only way you can persuade parliaments to adopt trillion dollar military uh, budgets instead of using the money for infrastructure, for education, uh, for combating poverty, for health care, et cetera. No, no, no. Let's put it into more missiles and drones and airplane carriers, et cetera. But now, allow me to say something before we go on, because we have limited time. Uh, it is my priority, my concern. First of all, stop the fighting. I don't want to see young Ukrainians and young Russians killing each other. I don't want to see Ukrainians used by NATO in its imperial fantasies, in its imperial uh, geopolitics. I want peace. And after peace, I join Antonio Guterres in saying, now we will need humanitarian assistance, both to the Ukrainians and to the Russians of uh, Donbas uh, and uh, Lugansk and uh, uh, Donetsk. Now, it's important 
uh, to consider uh, that uh, in the run-up uh, to this uh, absurd situation in which we find ourselves, uh, there were many moments in which uh, NATO could have made some minor concessions that actually, I think, would have satisfied uh, Putin. I mean, one of the main problems with uh, NATO is its imperial narcissism and the fact that it's only they and they, and then uh, they are incapable of thinking outside the box. They're incapable of putting themselves in the position of uh, the Russians and trying to understand it uh, from the Russian uh, perspective. That is, in terms of, demo uh, of diplomacy, very stupid. Now, I'm not the first person to say that. I mean, uh, Professor uh, John uh, Mearsheimer has said the same in his book, uh, The Great Delusion. Uh, and obviously, the press doesn't tell you that, but back in 1997, George Foster Kennan, whom I met several times in Princeton, and who actually gave me the name uh, for my very first book published by Routledge, uh, it's called Nemesis at Potsdam. In any event, uh, Kennan wrote an article in the New York Times in which he warned about expanding NATO. I mean, if uh, we threaten uh, the Russians, that is going to have consequences. Now, he's not alone in saying that. The last American ambassador to the Soviet Union, uh, uh, Jack Matlock, he wrote also recently a very long article in which he explains the fact that, of course, there were uh, assurances given, and we have broken those assurances. We have this culture of cheating, and we think that cheating is fun. We think that cheating makes us daring and visionary. Now, the consequences we're seeing, and now people are dying. Now, I think Putin miscalculated. I think it was a great mistake to actually use military force. Uh, that certainly violates Article 2, Paragraph 4 of the UN Charter, and any attempt to say this is preemptive self-defense under Article 51 of the uh, UN Charter really is not valid. It's not a valid argument, and it was not valid when NATO used it uh, in the case of Iraq. You will remember the weapons of mass destruction, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, here is a situation where the United Nations actually failed us, because the United Nations could have been the mediator, let alone the Organization for Security and Cooperation in Europe, let alone the Helsinki Final Act, and everything. Actually, all of the mechanisms are there, huh? and uh, the law is pretty clear. Uh, I mean, what is what happened? Uh, in uh, Ukraine in uh, 2014 was a vulgar coup d'etat. And the European Union immediately recognized the putschists. It is really shocking for democratic countries, or ostensibly democratic countries, immediately to recognize an unconstitutional regime in Kiev.
And then this regime, instead of saying, okay, fine, we will have greater economic relations uh, with the West, but we still want to keep our relations with the East, they start adopting Russophobic uh, laws, prohibiting the use of the Russian language, all sorts of ridiculous things. And you can understand the population in Donetsk and Luhansk, they felt menaced by these idiots uh, in Kiev. The population in Crimea felt menaced, and they, of course, held a referenda, the same as in many other countries, whether it be Kosovo or Slovenia or Croatia, and said, we want out. We don't want to be together with these nutcases. And the parliament of Crimea, for instance, declared itself unilaterally independent, and it went through all the rule of law stages, being uh, uh, officially requested, formally requested to be reincorporated into Russia. That worked well. The parliament in uh, Russia examined the case, approved it, went to the Constitutional Court of Russia. Constitutional Court approved it, then Putin signed it. Now, the people in Donetsk and Lugansk would have wanted to have the same thing. Unfortunately for them, uh, you know, Putin until now has been a very good chess player. And until now, he's been very moderate. So he said, okay, let's have these two republics of Luhansk and uh, Donetsk uh, get internal self-determination, not secession, just an autonomous status, like in so many countries. Uh, in a federal state, you can have any number of autonomous units, and they can have their language and their culture and their thing. That's what everybody wants. I mean, let's face it, the realization of self-determination is a conflict-preventive strategy. And that is what the United Nations should have been doing, organizing referenda, a UN-organized and monitored referendum in Crimea, in Lugansk, in, uh, in Slavyansk, uh, in Donetsk, in Mariupol, wherever, in any event, to find out where do these people want to go? And what irritates me no end is that Ursula von der Leyen and uh, Jens Stoltenberg, nobody wants to know what the people in Donbas want. I mean, it's easy to find out. Hold the referendum. Oh, no, 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 no. They want to maintain the territorial integrity of uh, Ukraine, well, why don't they want to keep the territorial integrity of Yugoslavia? Ah, now you're talking. Professor, we've run out of time. I could listen to you all night. I'm really grateful to you for joining us. Yes, 32, no, 68. That's on Twitter. But on YouTube, yes, 42, no, 58. And on Telegram, yes, 49, no, 51. Rather more pessimistic on YouTube and Telegram uh, than they are on the Twitter feed. But you've got the best part of an hour still to get your vote in on that. It's already a record number, and the audience so far is also a record audience. Uh, John Liu says, we've been in World War III for a long time. 
Russia is about to sink World War III. Sir Winston says, your boss is threatening it, George. Sir Winston, I don't have a boss, my dear. And Reckless Abandon says anyone who condemns Putin has the blood of 15,000 people in the Donbass, perpetrated by Nazis armed by the US and UK. And Bushman says the woke brigade that called Brexiteers racist also stand with the Ukrainian government and military, backed by the actual far right. The irony is palpable. And Crispy Bacon, what a wonderful name, says Putin has been found out. His ramshackle army and equipment are no match for the West. Why don't you test that, Crispy? Why doesn't, why doesn't the West actually fight Russia? Come on right ahead, you bam. Why are you pushing the poor Ukrainians to fight them? Why don't you fight Russia, Crispy? Why don't you get a tin hat on and get your gun and go, you lunatic? Anyway, Richard Medhurst is not just any journalist, not just any broadcaster. He is one of the brightest and the best. And he joins me now for a chat about NATO. Uh, Richard, thank you uh, for doing that. Let me start with, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. At least we now have full spectrum affirmation uh, that an occupied people have the absolute right to take up arms against their occupier. Now, that'll come as a bit of a relief uh, to all those who've been called terrorists up to now for resisting their occupier, won't it? Thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure Hamas and uh, Hezbollah and uh, all the oppressed people of the global south are, are you know, they're, they're just so happy and, and grateful to hear, uh, you know, our foreign secretary, Liz Truss, uh, Secretary uh, Blinken, and, you know, most of the Western world just finally affirming the right to resist under international law. It's really funny, right, um, how the tables turn. And you've been seeing people also online fundraising for the uh, Ukrainian military effort. I think the Ukrainian embassy in the Czech Republic even posted a, a crowdfunding uh, um, a link where people can go and donate to crowdfund military equipment for uh, for the Ukrainians. I, I can assure you one thing, George, if, if either you or I posted a crowdfunding link for uh, uh, Syrians or Palestinians or Lebanese uh, to resist the foreign, uh, the U.S. foreign occupation or the Israeli occupation, we, we'd probably end up in Belmarsh prison or something along those lines. So it, it's is, really uh, it is a stunning contradiction that, as is the I mean, the, the uh, absolute unacceptability of acquiring other people's territory by force uh, is a clear principle of international law. Uh, and when you add the absolutely illegal alteration of the demography and the topography of the territory that you have illegally occupied by force, you have a double whammy of international illegality. And yet that's been happening in Palestine for the last 54, 55 years. How can people not see 
that what they're saying about Ukraine absolutely contradicts what they're doing in Palestine. Yeah, it really is a double whammy. That's that's really the way to put it. You know, they're, they're violating the uh, territorial integrity of Syria, uh, of the of Palestine, of Lebanon, and at the same time, as you said, altering the demographics. So it's ethnic cleansing. Let, let's put it very simply. It's ethnic cleansing. When you're moving, you know, one population out, you're depopulating an area of its native inhabitants and then repopulating it with others. And this was, I'm sure you've seen this, George. This was absolutely hilarious. You had people in in, uh, in Israel, you know, in occupied Palestine, protesting against Russia's occupation of Ukraine while they're standing on occupied Palestinian land. You can't make this up. You really can't make this no. up. Uh, and it, it, it's really it's really disgusting, the, the double standards, because we saw Donald Trump, he recognized Syria's Golan Heights as Israeli, uh, violating God knows how many UN Security Council resolutions, uh, you know, 242 to begin with. And then, of course, the Biden administration comes in. And you think they reverse that? Of course not. So they, they continue to regard Syria's Golan Heights as Israeli, violating, uh, uh, you know, Syria's sovereignty. But apparently territorial integrity, that's not a problem when you do it to, uh, you know, when you violate the territorial integrity of countries in the global south. They don't matter for some reason. Well, the blood of some people is very obviously more valuable than the blood of others. In fact, again, one of the silver linings in this really uh, lamentable situation we're now in is the admission of that on television. Uh, we had a CBS reporter uh, in situ and two nodding dogs in the studio uh, in which the reporter explicitly states that this is not Africa or Asia, this is a civilized European country, civilized, civilized Europeans. We had uh, another fellow on saying it was all so difficult to bear because the people have got blonde hair and blue eyes. They're not even hiding it anymore, Richard. Yeah, yeah. Th those were the exact examples that came to mind. It's really horrifying, George. They're, re they're really not even trying to, to hide their, their racism and their prejudice. I mean, to, to say that Iraq, uh, I mean, to say that about any nation, that they're not civilized is already insulting enough. But to say about Iraq specifically, right. the cradle of civilization, the one and only, I mean, this just, it's just, it beggars belief. The ignorance is astounding. You know, only a brute could say such a thing. Richard, uh, Richard, Iraq had the world's biggest library when yep. Europeans were painting their faces blue and living in the forest. Fact. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, it's true. That reminds me of that quote from Lawrence of Arabia, right? He tells them that the Arab city of uh, uh, Cordoba had two miles of public lighting when London was a village. It's true. You know, we, we can't deny this. And, and to deny history and, and, and just, you know, violate people's dignity like that, I think it's really insulting. You know, people should be, uh, we should respect people's uh, uh, right to resist or just their right to seek refuge, whether they're from Afghanistan or Iraq or elsewhere, uh, regardless what color their, their eyes and hair are. I mean, this is, uh, you know, I shouldn't have to spell this out, but this is where we're at. Right. And they're not even trying to hide it. No. Um, now, let's, uh, let's turn to the current situation now. Um, I, I usually understand what's going on, but I don't understand this particular part. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Under, uh, uh, in 1995, NATO made clear in writing uh, that nobody can join NATO if they have a pre-existing territorial dispute with their neighbor. Ergo, neither Georgia nor Ukraine can join NATO. Why didn't NATO just say that? That... Actually, much as we'd like to, neither Georgia nor Ukraine can join NATO because they don't fit the rules, the criteria. One has a territorial dispute uh, with uh, South Ossetia and Abkhazia. The other has a territorial dispute with Russia, and therefore it cannot join NATO. If they'd said that, there wouldn't be a war now. Yeah, absolutely, George. You know, it's it's really interesting how they're willing to apply the NATO rules, uh, you know, it just uh, uh, on a whim. Uh, you know, it's just random. They say, for example, that uh, Russia has no right to demand that Ukraine um, uh, forswear NATO membership uh, because they have an open door policy, right? They say that's enshrined in, in NATO's uh, uh, founding and, and it's, uh, uh, you know, it's, it's rule book. And yet at the same time, uh, when it comes to other rules, like the one you just mentioned, where you're not allowed to join NATO if you have pre-existing uh, disputes or territorial uh, disputes, because that would obviously bring security concerns for NATO, they don't seem to mind. You know, it's uh, it's really interesting. And it, it's very obvious what's going on. What, what, what astounds me is that people want to talk about Ukraine-Russia and, and act like it's happening in a vacuum. They just want to remove all the geopolitical context. You can't do that. The CIA don't operate like that. NATO doesn't operate like that. They only operate in terms of geopolitics. So they, they know very well what they're doing. They've broken their promise in the two plus four negotiations not to expand eastwards. They've been going, you know, every couple of years, adding another country, another country. Now you've got 14 since 1990 who've joined NATO. You have five countries bordering Russia and they want to add the sixth. And, and of course, this was going to provoke the Russians. I mean, they the United add the States sixth, the biggest one of all. Ukraine is the second biggest country in Europe. And right. they really expect Russia to allow it to join NATO and move NATO missiles and forces and troops uh, into its territory on the border of Russia, We've given the history of Russia, twice invaded from the West through Ukraine by Napoleon and Hitler, and the 26 million dead bodies that Russia had to sacrifice in order to defeat the latter invasion, you'd have to be insane to think the Russians were crazy enough to agree to that. Yeah, of course. I mean, 
you know, don't, don't get me wrong. Uh, uh, you know, we, we did a lot in the UK. Uh, my, my grandfather was RAF. I'm sure you, your parents are also involved in, in, in the war effort, George. And uh, the Americans did as well. But we cannot forget the Russians. They've really sacrificed the most. You've got 20 to 30 million uh, people dead, most of them civilians. And, you know, we shouldn't forget the Russians inflicted 80% of all German casualties. They, they really bore the brunt um, uh, of this war. Not, that's not to say no one else did, but they really sacrificed the most, and that has to be taken into, into account. You can't just um, act like it's, it's irrelevant. They have a very, very big issue and an axe to grind with Nazis, understandably so, and especially coming in from Ukraine while financing, like the CIA is doing financing neo-Nazis. I mean, the stuff they're posting on Twitter now, you should see the Ukrainian National Guard just a few hours ago on Twitter. They're posting that they're greasing the bullets in pig fat to shoot Muslims from Chechnya with. You know, they, they, they just openly advocate the, the racism, the neo-Nazi uh, policies that they have. And people expect us to forget that and forget Russia's history. No, I mean, this is, uh, it's, it's unreasonable for us, never mind uh, what the Russians uh, see it as. And I think if, if the US or UK were being surrounded by an adversarial military uh, alliance, we would probably do even worse. We would have invaded already much, uh, you know, um, uh, much earlier. Uh, the uh, subject, uh immediately suggests itself. We're supposed to hate Russia and love Germany, uh, when in the lifetime of uh, some people still alive today, uh, it was, of course, the opposite. Germany has ripped up its pacifist uh, pretensions. It has now uh, basically joined the war. Uh, it has uh, stepped up massive and deadly weapons supplies to a country that is fighting Russia, what could possibly go wrong? Uh, I have a very hard line about Germany. I, I believe it should have been divided, in fact, divided more than in two pieces. It should have been demilitarized and should still be demilitarized. But call me old-fashioned. What's going to happen now? Because Russia is taking these almost hourly declarations of war from its Western adversaries very seriously indeed. Whether economic warfare, which they like to call sanctions, it's a nice word, but it's economic warfare, just like a siege in, uh, in historical terms was economic warfare. Uh, and now uh, the pumping in of more and more and more weapons into Ukraine. We could very well be heading for a big war here. Yeah, it's absolutely reckless, uh, George. You know, the, the Germans, as you said, they've, they've supposedly been towing a, a, a neutral uh, line. Although we must say their weapons have been ending up in Saudi Arabia mysteriously, you know, killing uh, uh, Yemenis. But now they've come out in the open and they're saying that they're going to, I think it was 2%, of the, the budget is going to go now towards uh, uh, armaments, and they're just going to openly, uh, you know, send weapons to, to fight Russia, to give them to the Ukrainians. I mean, this is really playing with fire, because we shouldn't forget that while 
they're, they're issuing these hourly declarations, as you meant, against Russia, you know, banning, uh, so issuing, putting sanctions on Lavrov and Putin and then banning Russian banks and then banning you and I as well from the airwaves. Uh, at the same time, Russia's not laughing because they're going to, you know, they can easily just turn off the gas valves and then who's going to freeze? It's, it's uh, certainly uh, well, I think Germany they should. and the rest uh, of Europe. I, I, I'm absolutely clear about that. I don't speak for Russia. I, I, I think that Russia should say that there's no more gas. Sling your hook, we'll sell it somewhere else. And you can freeze. Or you can pay 10 times the amount you're currently paying for gas. I mean, freezing the assets in the central bank of a nuclear superpower, a member of the Security Council of the United Nations, the victor of World War II. Are you serious? That's an act of war. It is. It is. Sanctions are war. It's, it's no different from, you know, in the Middle Ages when you're, you're besieging a city and starving the people out. We need to, we need to be very clear on that. I don't know if, if Russia is going to end up in the same situation as Iran or Cuba or Venezuela or Syria, but it's no joke. And they, if people who think that Putin and, and Lavrov are the ones who are going to suffer are, are sorely mistaken. It, it is a declaration of war. And, and the fact people can't see that and they, they can't appreciate the gravity of the situation is, is in big part what's, what's contributing to this, uh, to this conflict. Because they think that, that, you know, it's all about Putin's personality. No, 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 this is very serious what's happening. You know, as you said, it's a World War II victor, a nuclear power. Imagine if someone did that to the U.S. As a matter of fact, why didn't they do that to the U.S. after Iraq? I mean, we're seeing just disproportionate uh, responses to Russia uh, for something that pales in comparison to what, what the U.S. and U.K. did invading Afghanistan, invading Iraq, bombing Libya to smithereens, destroying Syria. If, if that's how we treat aggressors, then, then the U.S. and U.K. should be drowning in sanctions since 25 years. But that didn't happen. And this is a clear, clear double standard. And, and people are just refusing to wake up. They think this is a game. It's not a game. And ironically, the people who are going to pay the price are mostly the Europeans. The Americans are not going to freeze if Russia turns off the gas. It's the Europeans. You know, the Americans will probably make money for it, from it selling uh, liquefied natural gas. So they, they're sending Ukrainians, uh, uh, sacrificing them as, the, as a, you know, using them as a sacrificial lamb. They're sending the Europeans off to the slaughter. And they're, of course, sitting in the back, uh, uh, you know, clasping their hands together and wondering how they can further antagonize Russia and the global south. And it's not going to end well, George. No, uh, I see that today, uh, or yesterday rather, France seized a Russian ship. Uh, in an act of piracy in the English Channel. Yep. Anybody think Russia's going to take these kind of things lying down? No. Uh, I, can, I can remind you what happened. Uh, I'm sure you'll recall when uh, we seized an Iranian ship in Gibraltar. Yes. The Iranians immediately went and seized the British ship. And then, of course, we were, we were hearing screams about, oh, it's, it's, uh, it's unfair and why are they doing this to us? We, we, we do piracy to others all the time. Uh, the U.S. has been stealing Iranian fuel ships headed to Venezuela and then selling off the oil. I mean, th this is literally by definition state piracy. And then if you think the Russians are not going to react to this, wow, you're sorely mistaken. I think the Russians, you know, you're poking a sleeping bear. When that bear really wakes up, it's not going to it's going to be very ugly uh, and people are going to be in for a shock. I agree. Richard Medhurst, thank you, as always. Uh, wonderful. A tour so much, of the horizon. Jim George says, you are a madman. Thank God they are taking you off the air. <laughs> Thanks for watching, Jim. But if you think anybody's taking me off the air, it's you that is the madman. Uh, but they exist.
let's uh, hear from Matthew in Sweden. Let's uh, hear what he's got to say. Matthew, go ahead. Hey there, George. Thanks for having me on. Welcome. All points of view. Welcome here, mate. Fantastic. Yeah, no, I just wanted to um, call in and talk about, obviously, the um, uh, Russia's invasion of Ukraine. Um, first of all, I want to um, extend uh, solidarity to the people of Ukraine because, um, you know, they didn't ask for this. And uh, there are people, um, civilians, suffering and dying in Ukrainian cities now. And, um, uh, yeah, I, I want to extend solidarity to them. I also think um, I've been listening to the show today, and, um, I mean, there are some things I, I I want to take issue with. I mean, you had um, your previous guest, uh, Richard Medhurst, yeah. saying it was, um, it's been reckless of Germany to send weapons to defend Ukraine. I mean, this is breathtaking. Um, we've just had a, we've had a war of aggression launched by Vladimir Putin against um, geographically the largest country in Europe, a country of 42 million people. No, Russia's um, the largest country in Europe, and Ukraine's the second okay, well, largest. Okay, is it, it's, you, can, you can say that, that's fine. But if we're talking about... Um, no, it's quite uh, telling, because okay, you Russia, don't really regard Russia as a European country, do you? Oh, come on, it's, it's Asia. It's almost it's the top yeah. half of... Uh, I got you, man. Come on. I got you, you fell right uh, into my George, bear trap. You're a George, racist you dog. You fell George. right into my trap. You George, do not you accept kind of that the Russians are European. You've just actually admitted it live on air. Be gone with you. David in Dunstable. Go ahead, David. George, good evening. I just wanted to put a word in. I've, I've, I was staggered on Thursday to listen to talk radio. I, I live in the UK. And uh, it was just... Anti-Putin, anti-Putin, anti-Putin. It was ridiculous. They're just nobody's giving the full picture. No, no, um, of course they can't. He came in. They can't, in, David. I, they can't. If they no, do, if they do consent for what they're doing, will begin to disappear. They count on the absolute overwhelming ignorance. Exactly. Of the British that's, that's exactly public. Everybody seems completely unaware of the fact. Oh, is Britain completely sleepwalking? I mean, it's mad. Um, I, I'm, I'm sure there are faults with Mr. Putin, um, like everything else, but he's actually a defending part of Ukraine. He's been asked in, OK, it's going to be bloody, um, wars are. He's not... It's, it's the misrepresentation of lies, and thank goodness so many people like you are putting forward the alternative view, but nobody's listening in the UK. It's like we're all just... Our ears are blocked. Well, plenty of we people are uh, listening to this show, and more people, so. more people are listening than ever before, but the vast majority of our compatriots, David, uh, are sheep. Uh, they I are ignorant right, yeah. sheep, as ignorant as a sheep. That is overwhelmingly I, I, obvious already. They don't. I, they believe that that Ukraine is a peaceful and democratic country when it is neither peaceful nor democratic. It has murdered fourteen thousand of its own citizens in the last eight years. Clearly uh, recorded by the OSCE, uh, by official United Nations sources. Nothing contentious about it, and. 
both of the opposition leaders in Ukraine are in prison. Television stations yeah. supporting them have been taken off the air. It is neither democratic nor is it peaceful. As Tucker Carlson, on the principle that even a stop clock is right twice a day, was right when he said yesterday that Ukraine is not a democracy. It is a State Department client state. It's the United States that is pushing uh, the you, you, Ukrainian you people into this. Go you on, mentioned Dave. Tucker Carlson, but I believe you've been banned. Uh, I'm in the UK, but apparently RF has been banned in most of Europe. I just can't believe this. No, we're not banned in uh, Britain oh, oh, or anywhere no, no, in it, the world, it, but RT is now to be banned in, uh, yes. in, in Europe, but not yet in Britain. But either good, way, well, look, this is 2022, not 1922. Uh, people can find uh, what they want to listen to uh, with the touch of a button or two. Uh, I'll not be off air. I'll be on air, if necessary, seven days a week, 10 hours a day. Uh, I'm, I cannot be silenced unless, although I've, I've just had another death threat, that's two today, uh, both of whom were kind enough to leave their telephone numbers. So we'll be talking to the police uh, simultaneously. My wife's talking to the police right now. Um, but even if, you, even if they kill me, that won't silence me. My voice will go on. What I've said will go on. And other people will pick up uh, the uh, weapons of words that I have used. So uh, we will not be silenced. I've got people here on social media saying, you know, you'll not be able to pay your mortgage. I don't have a mortgage that you'll not get any pay. I don't need any pay. Thanks to Max Kaiser and his advice when, when Bitcoin was less than $10 each, I actually don't need any pay. I cannot be taken off the air. Do you feel me, David? I do. Uh, I, you and I are of a similar age. I think I'm just coming up to 70. Uh, I'm going to have a couple few years on you. But I was, I was taught Russian at school back in the 70s. Um, so I, I, I found the language fascinating. I found Russia fascinating. So I think I've got a slightly more of an insight into how Russians think than your average Brit. Yeah. And it just, it just the ignorance is just overwhelming. Well, we have been, absolute... it's been 100 years of British... Uh... Uh, uh, conditioning uh, of, uh, of people to hate Russia, more than 100 years. We, we had that uh, uh, defence minister, Wallace, talking about the, uh, the Battle of Balaclava and the Crimean War uh, 166 <laughs> yeah. years ago. Uh, yeah. we, we hated the Russians then uh, under the Tsar. We hated them under the Bolsheviks. We uh, liked them briefly under Yeltsin. Now we've hated them for 20 years under uh, Putin. So the British people have been conditioned. Uh, and, uh, you know, Pavlov and his dogs and all of that, David. Thanks for the call, my friend. I've enjoyed it. Uh, Simon in London. Go ahead, Simon. How are you doing? You okay, George? I'm good, brother. Go ahead. I'm great. Just just to pick up on the caller before I, before I start my point, I just wanted to say, if they do ban you, I'll still be, with, I'll, I'll still be listening to you, regardless of all the disagreements that we've had in the past. I'll still be with you, my friend. So, I appreciate uh, that, Simon. Thank you. No worries, mate. Yeah, the, the thing I wanted to talk about is this. Um, in 2011, 
a lot of terrorists from the UK, a lot of people from the UK went to Syria and Libya to overthrow Gaddafi, to overthrow um, uh, Assad and so on, you know. And of course, as you said time and time again on your show, that released the alphabet soup of the uh, the terrorists onto the, onto the UK. We had the London Bridge attacks, we had the dreadful uh, Manchester Arena attacks. You know, now today earlier on, Liz Truss went on air. I can't believe they actually let her go on air and say this because it's illegal to effectively support anyone, any British person going to Ukraine. Yeah, that. it's against what the law. You know that it is literally. It is literally unlawful what she said today and she's yes, the foreign secretary no i totally agree with you and not only that can you imagine the amount of radicalization i mean right-wing people would right these far right wingers the tommy robinsons of the world uh, dare i say will go over there and come back even more radicalized and what's to say after this uh, conflict has ended they won't come back be very traumatized be highly uh, go through post-traumatic stress disorder and say blow up a mosque or blow up a blow up a blow up a synagogue or blow up a Hindu temple. You know, this is exactly what we're our government are asking for now. You know, um, it, yeah, it's uh, yes, uh, you're absolutely correct, uh, Simon. Um, but in a way, it has even more remarkable implications than you've stated because it means that those people that have already been convicted. Uh, now have grounds for appeal uh, yeah. to be allowed out. And that yeah. might be people that went to fight to with the Kurds uh, against yeah. ISIS, but it also might be people, uh, Shamima Begum, uh, that, that, that went, went to Syria to fight for ISIS. Uh, yeah. it, she's Liz Truss has just rewritten the entire British legal system on this matter. Yes, exactly. And not only that, by saying something as irresponsible as she has, effectively she's declared war on Russia. And um, I wouldn't be surprised if Russia uh, kind of like attacked us, or uh, if they wouldn't, of course, because they're not, they're not as stupid as our leadership. But she keeps trying to act like Margaret Thatcher. She looks like That's the what it's about. Of, she looks like the equivalent Tory equivalent of uh, Diane Abbott, unfortunately. She's a pound has. shop, Margaret Thatcher, though. I knew Margaret Thatcher. She ain't no Margaret Thatcher. Simon, thanks for the call. Philip is in Stoke. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Philip. Hi, George. Uh, I'm just wondering uh, how long do you think Putin's got it left in charge? His uh, generals didn't look very happy. I'm not sure it's all going well for him. Really? You think he's going to be overthrown? I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm just wondering. He's, uh, uh, he's, taking a big, he's taking off a big bite here. Mm -hmm. And you think uh, it's not going to uh, be good for him? Uh, Tell you no, what. not really. Well, let's talk about it a year from now. If God spares us five years from now, if God spares us further, ten years from now. And we'll see. Putin is the most popular politician in Russia. He's the most popular politician that there has been since Brezhnev. But here's the rub, Philip. They don't tell you this one. The main opposition to Putin in Russia is the Communist Party of Russia. And they fully support uh, the action in Ukraine. So if Putin falls, the opposition will take over. <laughs> the opposition are the Communist Party. Good luck with that. Uh, let's talk to Christopher in Middlesbrough. Go ahead, Christopher. 
Hello there, George. Yes, welcome, sir. Hello there, my friend. Um, you uh, you predicted this, um, at least seven years ago um, on on this um, on YouTube, uh, saying that um, Putin would never be so stupid to um, to invade Ukraine. Uh, you, you never thought this would happen. You said uh, this, this this wouldn't happen. I said that last and week. Five, I said it last week. Uh, and I, I I was going to go back to five five months and and two months and and mm -hmm. um, I said it last Sunday, I, mate. I, I, You're obviously not a regular I, listener. Uh, obviously not. No, um, uh, not as much. Uh, I, I'm more of a, a, a workers' party listener, in, in all honesty. Okay. Um, but uh, how, how how do you feel about being so wrong? Uh, well, I, I don't work for Putin, and I have no idea what he's going to do next. I did not believe how, how, I did not believe that the uh, Russian army would enter into Ukraine proper. I thought that if an assault on the uh, breakaway republics took place, that Russia would have absolutely no choice but to come to the aid of their compatriots, their co-religionists. Uh, their fellow Russians uh, who live there, uh, that I believed. I did not expect uh, the attack uh, that has occurred. Um, and I hope it will soon be over and that these talks work. Uh, last word to you, Christopher. Um, uh, how, how, do you, um, how do you feel? Like, I, I understand that uh, Sputnik and um, Russia's idea is uh, going to be uh, taken off the air in the, in the EU. In the um, EU, yeah. Thank God we're no longer in the yeah, EU. Yeah. You've, you've, taken that, you've taken the words right out of my mouth. That's uh, <laughs> an unexpected um, Brexit bonus. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, this show has, is not affected uh, by that. So you don't need to worry about moats. This well, well, thank God. And also uh, and, uh, thank you for, for the podcast as well. Uh, you're enjoying uh, them. Give me... Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I already have. Uh, thank you for Spotify. Um, but if you follow me on my Patreon page, I'm not only now stuffing it full of great content, I'm going to launch with a young friend of mine who's through the glass there uh, and with uh, Barry Silkman, the football agent, former Manchester City star, I'm about to launch George's best football podcast. So you'll get once a week a 90-minute Football My podcast. Friend. And I think for you a man from Middlesbrough, you'll want to be interested in that. Um, um, I'm, a, I'm a very big fan of uh, Bob Mortimer. Oh, yeah. He's got a football co uh, podcast called Athlet Go Mint and his, uh, his compatriot, uh, Andrew Dawson, from uh, up the road from Sunderland. He's got an amazing football podcast as well. So if good. anybody who's good, 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 good. I'm very, listen, I'm very listen, glad listen, to listen, hear listen it. To George, listen to George's new podcast, guys. Thank you so much. George's um, best on, football podcast coming soon. Thanks for that, uh, Christopher. Have I got another question? My goodness. Uh, let's go to Kurt. In where is that? Where are you, Kurt? In Germany, in Harden, in Germany. You're most welcome, sir. Go ahead. Yeah, thank you. Well, uh, you said you didn't expect this attack. Well, it, I did, because Putin said 
uh, one way or the other, he wanted to have a deal. He, he wanted to have a security situation for Russia, and he did want to take it that he was taken into the swamp. And that was exactly what I did. And here is my thesis. Uh, maybe you can say what you think about it. Okay. You know that the, the, the government of the United States that are, are back in power are contraproductive regime change warmongers. They, made, they destroyed Iraq. They destroyed Libya. It's all about regime change. You know, there was a deal, a very easy deal. Ukraine could have been neutral. The, the Minsk treaties could have been respected. And um, together, Russia and Europe would build up Ukraine. And Ukraine would not co become member of NATO, but be keeps its sover sovereignty. You know, if Texas should make, become independent of the United States, America would never ex ex respect that it would make a military deal with uh, Russia. So here, here it is. You know, they uh, deliberately obstructed the deal because they wanted this invasion. Because what sort of a president you are that you send in uh, untrained people with Molotov cocktails, with machine guns, to Russian soldiers who are well trained. You know, they want a massacre just like they did in 1979. They also provoked the Soviet Union to invade Afghanistan because they were steering up problems. So then the Soviet Union made a mistake of going in. And, and they, these sick people in the United States really think that this will topple uh, the regime in, um, in, in Russia. Because at the end of it, it is an ideological conflict. You know, Russia is now a patriotic, national, religious, conservative, fu fossil fuel country. And that is, of course, opposed to that so-called progressive, liberal, woke um, it's uh, a, a, global, a globalist nightmare, Kurt. Thanks yeah. for the call. I agree with everything that you said. Alex is in Finland. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Alex. Hello, George. Hi. I'm actually from Ayrshire. Uh, myself, I'm from Ayr, but I live in Finland. How amazing is that? And as yep. soon as you started speaking, I knew you were Scottish, but Ayr, exactly. my goodness. Yeah, I'm from the, the very town of Ayr. <laughs> Wonderful. Go so ahead, actually, sir. Actually, I've been listening to you for years, and it's really great to finally... I get a chance to talk to you. Thank you. I just want to say the situation in Finland, uh, for us, we are neutral. We're a neutral country. So for us, we just do nothing at the moment. Uh, we don't want to antagonize uh, Russia. We don't want them uh, to come here because we have, had, we have history with Russia. Uh, my wife is Finnish. Her grandparents uh, are originally from the town of Vipuri, which is now called Viborg. And uh, the Russians, the Soviets, they came in for no good reason, just like they've gone into Ukraine right now. And uh, they kicked people out of their homes. And in my opinion, uh, the Russians should get out of Ukraine right now. And they, they, they should just leave Ukraine to their own business. Um, I've been to Ukraine, uh, and I have uh, Russian friends, and they are all against this war, uh, very much so. And if uh, there are ethnic Russians in Ukraine, and uh, like they feel like they're being persecuted. Russia should be a force of good. They should open up their their cities. They should give them money. They should repatriate them ah, to Russia. Ah, and so they, you they, want they you want them. the you want the people of Eastern Ukraine to get out of Ukraine and go? Nobody wants. Go, nobody. Nobody go, wants go them back, to get out. No, back, that's what you just no. said, Alex. 
No, I don't Sorry, want him to go. Sorry, it's all captured on. It's all captured on tape now, son. That's what you no, just said. That Nobody the, wants him to go. That the people of Eastern Ukraine should go back to Russia. That's what you just said. Yeah, no, Russia has problems. Yeah, no, well, but listen. maybe, but Look, Alex, um, be gone. Doc uh, is in Montrose. Let's hear from him. Go ahead, Doc. Oh, good evening, George. Nice How to hear you? someone from Montrose, my goodness. Oh, yes, uh, yes, I look old. <laughs> yeah. Go ahead, Doc. Right, you know what, George? I've got two points. The first is to thank you. And the reason for that is I've been educated by you for it must be about 30 years. Wow. Way Thank back you. in the days when Thank the you. mainstream media was tarnishing you. Well, they just didn't listen, did they, George? They didn't but know. About the, for all their no, tarnishing, no, I'm George, still... Uh, you know what I'm on about? Yeah, uh, for all I their tarnishing, I'm still standing, Doc. Getting treated like, forgive my language, crap by the mainstream media. Sure. But, but now I've got a bigger but, but media than them. You see my point? I've got a bigger medium than them. With one yeah, tweet, uh, with one tweet I can reach I, more people than by any correct. newspaper and in that's, Britain. That's why I'm thanking you, because I'm actually now able to talk to somebody I have seen. See, you, I know what you look like. You haven't got a clue what I look like, Matt. <laughs> no, although, although I've got relatives in Montrose, so maybe we've bumped into oh, each other. Oh, my goodness me. They probably know me. Anyway... I do have a question, by the way. Go ahead. Um, now, I just find out, and, and thank you for educating me, man. I just find out, just in the last couple of days, and I find it rather strange, that Putin has done the, the nuclear high alert, and at the same time, pretty much in the same day or two, there's going to be talks. Now, I'm interested on your view about... Where where do you think that might be going? Well, I think uh, if uh, if the Ukraine was allowed by its American uh, puppet master to negotiate correct. properly, it would be easy to come to a deal. After all, uh, the Russian demands, as I said in my monologue at the beginning, are very simple and restricted. They are one that that Ukraine is a neutral country i.e. does not join NATO, Correct. And, and, and two, uh, that the uh, rights of the people of eastern Ukraine uh, to their self-determination are accepted. Now, I, I supported that last week, uh, and yes. I think the Ukrainian government will have to agree to it next week. So all of this was unnecessary in that case. Abs of course, absolutely unnecessary. And you know, you know what? Like I, I've been now when I need to see what the mainstream media are up to. Every single channel, even Fox, man, and you, you did, you did mention Tucker, and I've got a lot of respect for Tucker, right, Carlson. Yeah. Um, but but they've been promoting this conflict, whereas you made it clear to me last week because I didn't know until last week. The Ukraine have been at loggerhead since, what is it, 2014, 2014, George? yeah. Yeah, well, I, I was unaware of that. And a lot of people, like you said, the sheep with their heads down, um, they don't understand that. No, and, you're right. 
I know it's a shame. And you, you're right. And, and Doc, the fact uh, that people I'm, don't I'm, know that Russia is European. Well, but, uh, it, look, that guy fell right into that trap. They're Asians. <laughs> They're not Europeans. They're Asians. Russia is the biggest country in Europe. Moscow is the biggest city in Europe. But they want to other them. They're Asians. But, but just before I go, George. Yeah, quickly. I just, yeah, the Ukraine is one of the biggest countries in Europe with resources. Charles in Hertfordshire. Uh, go ahead, Charles. Uh, good evening, George. Uh, can you hear me? Yes, very clearly. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Basically, uh, ever since this thing started, I've basically been glued to the news, the YouTube, everything, you know? Yeah. And I'm trying to uh, uh, understand what's going on, right? Yeah. And it just seems very, very strange because it's like uh, we keep getting reports that there's this is fighting, you know? But there's no pictures the of it. it like, there's no pictures of it. it. No pictures of it. No, no. Not only that, it's like it just reminds me of that film. Is it Wag the Dog, you know? Exactly. It's almost a replica of the Wag the Dog. So Russia and is the, not... Russia's fighting with both hands behind its back. Uh, it's doing the very minimum. The Ukrainians are claiming their resistance is bringing down planes and sinking ships and killing people, but they, they didn't manage to take any pictures of it. And the problem is, this is like, uh, when you read things like uh, the Daily Mail, yeah. it's, 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 it convinces you that this is what is actually happening. But yeah. it's not, you know? Not at all, no. It's a phony war. And I'm just wondering, uh, basically, how can they be allowed to get away with this? Come on, you know the answer to that, Charles. That's the country we live in. We live in a world with a political class so bankrupt that even its media echo chamber is more credible than them. We've got no political leaders. We've got no real journalists. The only journalist we've got is in Belmarsh prison facing 170 years uh, in, uh, in a supermax in the United States. His name is Julian Assange. Charles, thanks for the call. Tom is in Virginia. Go ahead, Tom. Hi, George. It's a pleasure. Pleasure is mine, sir. Go ahead. George, the question is pushback. Where can we expect pushback on, on this uh, diplomatic uh, trap that uh, the U.S. Uh, has uh, created for Europe and for uh, Russia? You know, we're looking at uh, Europe, uh, European economy about to bust open. There's a, a threat of a war in Europe. Uh, the Europeans have been dominated over these years by the United States uh, consensus that was developed in 1945. And so uh, when, when are they going to start to push back? The, the pros on this thing is that the European economy could be established on a European basis that would include uh, the Russians. There would be peace. There would be mutuality in an economy like that. Uh, the European uh, economy and manufacturing could develop on a European basis, uh, and there would be peace in that. So uh, when, when, when do you see the European uh, government heads, some of them, uh, or the European public itself start to to push back on this thing, George? Well, that's the best call of the night. Uh, it's the best call of many a night. It is what you and I are old enough to remember as the $64,000 question. Uh, 
it is uh, the case that the current situation is ruinous, completely ruinous for the European economy where gas prices have already tripled and if Russia stops selling or is forbidden to sell, it's going to multiply by 10 times, maybe 20 times. You won't be able to buy a gallon of petrol. You won't be able to get a cubic meter of gas at any price. Now, that will throw huge numbers of people out of work. It will bring the uh, wheels of industry uh, to a halt. We've already got uh, severe economic problems. And in many parts of Europe, the danger of recession, the re-emergence of stagflation, uh, we, we already are looking at a smorgasbord of economic problems, and they're about to get very much worse. I looked at a statement made by a cleric, a Christian man in the United States today. He was crying out uh, to people to say, why don't we spend the money at home? Why don't we deal with the crisis of our young people and fentanyl and drug addiction and urban dereliction and infrastructural crumbling and collapse and mass unemployment, underemployment, a lack of money to demand goods effectively and thus kickstart the economy. Why don't we deal with that instead of a war in Eastern Europe, thousands of miles away from ourselves? Well, that cleric was right, Tom. But you could equally say it about Britain. I don't have time left in the show to give you a list as long as my arm of things that are desperately needed here in Britain and we're handing over money, hand over fist to a corrupt little kleptocracy in Ukraine, what Tucker Carlson called a client state of the United States State Department, a state whose cutting edge, whose vanguard is the jackboots of the Azov Battalion and the right sector. You truly couldn't make this up. The question is when? That's what you ask me. I don't know when. You don't know when until it happens. You don't know when until the last straw has broken the camel's back. And I'm waiting, and as I'm waiting, I'm agitating. I'm educating, I'm organizing, I'm trying to raise the consciousness of the people about what's really going on. I think I'm having some success, Tom. That's why they'd love to shut me down. Thanks for the call. Joe is in Georgia. Go ahead, Joe. Yeah, hey, George. Uh, great to speak with you and uh, from the uh, Awaken here. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, um, it's it's uh, really frustrating, George, what's happening. I mean, so many different Americans don't understand really the full extent of what's happening, the big picture. And really the, the meat of the whole thing is the double standard that they're applying to this one country that's on Russia's doorstep that really is 
testament to the double standard that's happening all over the world. And look at, you know, and I'm, I'm originally Palestinian and um, was born in Austria because my family had to leave war after war after war. And it's, it's the, the doctrine of the United States to continue to apply its poli- policies to everyone that they talk to. Everybody that they want to get to do their bidding has to fall in line, just like what the previous, you know, what you were saying previously. And the frustration is really mounting to the point that they've backed Russia into a corner. And now a lot of people are starting to ask the question, where do we go from here? Well, uh, Joe, it's a very powerful and poignant uh, call. I don't know what will happen next, but I think I know that Putin and Russia have had enough and they're not going to be pushed around anymore. And by the way, that also goes for China. And Russia and China are now uh, as close as it's possible to imagine, more possible, more close rather than ever I imagined would be possible. And it's quite a triumph of statesmanship by Western leaders that they've made Russia and China more or less one thing. And that one thing is very, very powerful, and they're not going to be pushed around anymore. That's my view. Esther is in Ayrshire in Scotland. Go ahead, Esther. Oh, hi, George. Hi, nice to hear from you. What would you like to say? Well, first of all, I just want to say a massive thank you, because I I don't know about others. Well, I know about people who have called in so far and people who watch the show. I am infuriated by the lack of integrity, by the lack of balance, by um, just this constant one narrative uh, avenue that the media seems to go down. And I just want to say thank you because I've come on tonight. I'm I'm thankful to you. Do you think they might have gone too far, Esther? (sighs) Do you think the media has gone too far or is everybody a sucker? But we're not. (laughs) No, we're not. And there's a lot of us. There's more of us than there's Mm -hmm. ever been. But we're not the majority, that's for sure. We're not, and we're not not yet. But the thing is, if if people like you and others and, you know, if we we bring a balance and if we make sure that that we almost practice what we preach, and I know that you do, and it's... Well, I hope we get time um, yeah. to persuade the others, Esther. I hope it doesn't all True. come to an end uh, before. Can I say uh, one final thing? Chance. Yeah, go ahead, dear. It's just about your wife. I just wonder because I'm, I, I, I've been listening the whole night, and I feel very proud to be your first female caller of the show so far. Thank you. But I wondered, is your wife? Is that a case of opposites attract, or are you both on the same page? Because see, if your wife is anything like you, I want to have coffee with her. Well, she'd she's be delighted. Kind, she's my kind she's, of woman. She's listening right now. Uh, she's, she's my just, kind of woman, uh, honestly. She's just been on the phone to Police Scotland. Uh, so she's listening to what you're saying, and it would be lovely. Uh, she's absolutely the same as me, uh, except uh, eventually look, she'll be better. And uh, when I'm no longer able, uh, she'll do the business. And I've got six children, by the grace of God. And I hope that they will, too. God bless you, Esther. Wonderful, wonderful call. Uh, Fleming is in Odense. Go ahead, Fleming. Yeah, good evening, George. Good evening, sir. Uh, Good evening, sir. I've been a big fan of yours for many years. Thank you. 
Um, what's going on, George? Mass psychosis all over the world. It is mass psychosis. That's well expressed. Yes. I live in Denmark, and uh, I see uh, the mainstream media here is filling us all with bullshit. We, uh, yeah, uh, I, I, I don't see a second opinion about uh, about Russia. Nobody talks about uh, the NATO expanding uh, into uh, the uh, backyard of Russia. Well, Fleming, we've had callers on here tonight that say that they didn't even yeah. know about what's happened in the last eight years. And I'm not blaming them for that. I, I, no. I, I'm, I'm blaming the people that are supposed to be telling us the truth. The politicians, yeah. the media, yeah. they've all been lying by omission or by commission. Exactly. But uh, it's, uh, it's, uh, uh, everybody around me is uh, fearful. I, I see fear in uh, people's faces in my daughters. I have three uh, daughters. All of them, they are afraid of the uh, Third World War. And uh, it's, uh, it's, like I say, it's mass psychosis. But uh, I'm, I'm supporting the Russians on, on this. But you, you don't hear my, uh, me personally, I... Uh, I, I, I'm alone in this. I, I feel like I'm uh, 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 the only one who, who sees this in, in my small country, Denmark. I hear my government wants to support the Ukrainians with weapons right now. I hear the Germans want to support them with weapons. And what Sweden, is going on? Sweden in the last hour. Yeah, exactly. This is uh, this is madness. This is craziness. I, you know, uh, what, I'm I'm 100% sure that the CIA and the Americans are pulling the strings in in Ukraine. And uh, well, look, uh, unfortunately, we've run out of time, Fleming. I would have liked to hear more about how it is in Scandinavia on these matters. Uh, but it's been marvelous for me. I hope it was for you. And if it was, come back next week at the same time, same place. Uh, I've got to launch episode three of uh, Maxwell, the podcast, the final episode. The full series is now available wherever you get your podcast. See you next week, God willing. I can't believe I'm reading this. We've got new subscribers in Martinique, Fiji, Cambodia, Mauritius, and Georgia, that's not Georgia, USA, but Georgia in the Caucasus. And that means we now have subscribers in 130 countries. And we've been in the political top 10 in Russia, South Africa, Singapore, and the Philippines. And this actually is because our Maxwell the Monster podcast was released on all of our podcast platforms. So please subscribe wherever you get your podcast. You can listen to Moats anytime, anywhere. And leave us, by the way, a five-star review if you would. Here's one. I listen in from Saudi Arabia and play your podcast on the commute to and from daycare. Not sure what my two-year-old gets out of it, but I certainly enjoy your perspective and the diversity of guests you have on. Thanks, Gigi. Thanks to you and to your two-year-old. 
catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. 